Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Jules. Hi. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start with our four anchor questions before we get to your storytelling. Okay. And that first question is, who are you? What do our listeners need to know about who you are to make the most of our conversation today? Wow. What a question to start with. (laughs) Yeah. I am a woman finding my way and I am a mother to so many, so many beautiful spirits that have been delivered to me in one way or another. I am at times found and complete and at times shattered and lost. I'm open, I'm willing, I'm healing, I'm hurting, and I'm excited to be here with you today. So glad that you're here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So some of us believe that our lives are rather ordinary Mm -hmm. and plain, Mm -hmm. and some of us believe we're living a very extraordinary life. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where do you plot your life? So far on the end of extraordinary, just all the way at the end of that continuum. And it hasn't always been that way. It's, It's been a journey from existing and obligatory 
functioning at times at work and at home in parenting, in love, in life, in relationship. So it hasn't always been that way. I think um, living, here's one of the biggest uh, switches, I, I guess, for me as I moved from an ordinary, what felt like ordinary to extraordinary, was living other people's expectations and <clears throat> believing that there were either expectations handed down through my family, through the generations, or expectations socially, or expectations culturally. Um, and it feels like living expectations kept me in an ordinary, boring, dull existence is the word that pops up. And as I've learned to drop that belief that your expectation becomes my obligation and that I have to fulfill the expectations of anyone outside of me, then somehow life became extraordinary. Like really, Jen, colors became brighter and sounds became clearer. And I noticed the constellations and I noticed the shapes in the clouds and I noticed a hawk flying over and I saw an eagle and everything began to feel uh, connected and 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 vibrating and extraordinary as I learned to step out of those expectations and that's scary that's really scary because it's a big you shift you don't know what's coming you don't know when you live in the in the container of the expectations and you follow that path that everybody before you has followed and you do what is expected of you to be done, then you almost know in a way what the outcome is going to be. And so there's no fear, but there's no excitement. There's also no trepidation about, wow, could it be bigger? Could it be brighter? Um, so I think that's what it was, learning that it wasn't going to kill me to step out of those expectations. And actually it did the opposite and, and life became extraordinary. I love the way you pose that question. Definitely extraordinary. How do you define success? What are the markers of a successful life? Oh my gosh, can I wake up in the morning and the first thing on my mind is the breath that I've been gifted. And it's not spinning around what has to be done and what didn't get done. And all of that incessant thinking that makes you feel kind of crazy. I think that's <clears throat> one of the first important keys of success in life to me. Can I as I wake and as I'm falling asleep, where's my mind and my body and my spirit? And are those in sync and are they congruent with what feels peaceful, restorative? Success for me is also uh, the legacy that I'm leaving in my footprint. And is that a legacy of healing? Is it a legacy of love? Is it a legacy of safety for people in my sphere? Have I touched the people who I touch in a way that feels good for them? And am I clearing the touches that haven't felt good? And do I have enough capacity? Am I big enough to go back into those places kind of those crevices that I know I need to go back into and 
and clear them either with an apology or a request for forgiveness. And, and then I think another piece is learning to forgive myself. And if I can practice grace for everyone else out there, can I practice it for myself yeah. and be okay with pieces I can't fix um, that I don't have the power to fix anymore. Either someone's left this world and I can't fix it or they're no longer in relationship to me and I can't fix it. Um, and not letting that suck me into that darkness, not letting that pull me down, but actually instead giving me and inspiring me to, um, leave even bigger love where I, where I step from what I've done in the past. And I think there is another piece of success for me too. Um, I think it matters what we do in this world, Mm -hmm. not just, am I leaving this legacy of, of love and restoration and healing for the people in my tribe? But the earth and the air and am am I living in a way that's not just clean the way we talk about it environmentally, but energetically? Am I leaving the world energetically and environmentally in a cleaner way, in a, in a clearer way? I think that's part of success for me, too. And there's another piece that just crept in. Um, Tell us. Uh, which is um, love. Am I open to receiving and giving love? Because, you know, I get scared sometimes. To loving again, not loving again. Loving big. L- loving fully. Love, I can do. I can love you. I can love... I can find love for just about anybody who comes into my space. But really loving, like unzipped, loving from the most wounded part of me and allowing somebody into that and being able to step into somebody else's like big love. That feels like success for me too. For me, that's important. I I long for that. I ache for that. So for me, I think that's a part of my success too. It really struck me that you said, I can't remember exactly your words, but you started that phrase with receiving love. And um, maybe that's my own, my own journey and my own work. Mm-hmm. But I think that is such a big piece of the puzzle in yes. terms of what you just said. A lot of times we're way more comfortable sending something mm-hmm. good out mm-hmm. than we are letting something good mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. No. If I let you in, then you have to see all those spaces in me. And if I if I invite you in to the most sacred corners, maybe the oldest corners, maybe they're recent corners, but they're sacred corners. They're, they're corners like where just me and God get to tribe up in there. It's not they're not corners I invite many humans into. It's yeah. scary. But that feels like and I've had that once. I've had that experience once that there's no corner left unvisited. And so I know that I know that experience and I know that feeling. But the possibility of it being there again is so scary so scary to to receive and let anyone else 
in again. But for me, that feels, for me, not for anyone else, Jen, for me, that feels like a, a part of my success. Can I, can I have love like that? Can I, can I receive that? I can give it, but can I receive it mm-hmm. and, and allow that to happen again? That feels like a part of my success too. I don't want to live the rest of my human days without it. That's scary. So we're knocking on the door of storytelling. We're, we're, we're getting close. So uh, that last question, what are three events or experiences or themes that you feel have most shaped your life's path and who you are? And then after you offer those to us, tell us which one you're going to teach from. Big breath. Take your time. Yeah. This is such important work. Um, I The first event is being born to John and Afef. And having been raised by parents who both came from hurt and woundedness into the capacity to love in a way that I can only hope that I love the rest of my life as my mother and father did. Um, The relationship I had with my mom engineered such an ache to be a lover in this world and to get beyond the hurt. And she did in some big, big, big ways. So I think that's the first event, just being born to these parents at this time I think the the second event is having grown up in um, a family where incest was experienced on a regular basis and having parents who provided this container, yet somehow in the container <clears throat> there was a lack of safety. And growing up in a family where parents very involved in the community, well-known and respected in the community for their personal and professional gifts, and with uh, brothers who were well-known in their community for a, a lot of re- academics, athletics, just well-known in their in our sphere, in our world. But there were dark corners in that world and surviving that for as many years as I did and and coming out of that for probably decades of burying it because not in this family this is not a family where there were drugs or alcohol or mm-hmm. addiction or this was a well-known established family yet there I was in the story you hear outside of your own mm-hmm. right that the girls experiencing this really scary, bad stuff in a family that anybody outside of would never, ever imagine. And I was in the story that you hear outside of your own. So I think that that experience and then coming out of it and claiming claiming myself again and reclaiming my power in that story. Um, as a As a victim of incest, you have no power. 
You have absolutely no power. You are the victim when it's happening. And somehow we take that belief that we're powerless into adulthood. And so we step into adulthood feeling powerless. There's no, There was no magic age or event that turned that message off in my brain. Sets a very complicated tone. Very complicated. Where are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? Do you have a right to set boundaries? Where is their safety? How is it that the people that are hurting you are being honored in such big ways out there? And you're in the background expecting, being expected to honor them. Well, and nobody knows the terror. Nobody knows. So nobody outside of the sibling group knows the terror. And so it becomes very convoluted and very clouded and very, there are no clear boundaries for self, protection of self, and love for self because self was used for something and someone else but the the out kind of the outcome of that event learning that i could reclaim myself and the shame and the embarrassment and the pain are his they're not mine i made them mine for a very long time and so i wore that cloak and so i think that as the second event had those two parts, the event itself and coming out of it and realizing that I I was once a victim. I am not a victim now. I was once victimized. The only victimization now is the replay of the story in my mind. He is no longer in my life. By my request, he's no longer in my life. There's a lot of grief to that. There's a lot of loss to that. A lot of family that I no longer have access to. A lot of family that I'm sure has been told stories that are not true. That you can't correct. That I can't correct. I can't help my nieces and nephews in any way anymore. Um, But the weight of that became too big. And I could no longer give myself away to save anyone else. So that second part of that event, reclaiming jewels and reclaiming my sense of dignity and my power to set my boundaries, but through grace, not through anger. Uh, I love him and I fully forgive him, but that doesn't mean he can step into my door ever again. It just means I don't carry I don't carry that toxic energy anymore. I feel sad for him. Um, I wonder why and how and what happened to him that this happened. Um, I don't believe we're born that way. Something must have happened for him as well. But that's his. And I can't carry his anymore. I, I can only carry mine. Um, so that second part of that event for me allowed me to step into what I think was the third experience where the extraordinary began to really unfold. And that was that the entire world's expectation of me could absolutely no longer be my obligation. And that meant in life, in love, in family, in parenting, in relationship. So I think coming out of that restorative experience from the second event 
led me to believe that I was worthy of something in this lifetime that I had never felt truly worthy of. And that was giving and receiving love that was a choice, that was not expected, that was a choice. And so the third event for me was meeting that great love. And that event turned my entire life up. Everything everything about Jules' world was turned upside down. The, the realization that I could feel what I felt for another human being in the world of love and that I felt things that I didn't believe you could feel. I didn't, you see them and you hear about them and you read about them, but they're not really true. Yeah, it's fairy tales. It's all fairy That's tale. not life. It's on the big screen. And even if it's possible, it's not possible for Jules. Right. That doesn't happen for me because I'm living this life carved out the way my life was supposed to be carved out. You grow up, you find the man who fits the mold, you marry him. He's a good man. He's a loving man. And he is. And you have four children with this man. And you are also successful, quote unquote, and you have this life and your children are becoming successful. And so you've built what's expected of you. And all through that, you feel alone and unfulfilled. And so you fill it up with working hard and you fill it up with loving as many children as you can. And that's what I did. We became foster parents for 20 years. And boy, I loved those kids because I had so much love to give, Jen. I have big love to give. I did not have a partner who could receive it. And because my partner couldn't receive it, I tucked mine away, believing I also couldn't receive it. And so I poured it into my children um, who, by the way, to this day, my my kids, my biological kids are 20 to 26 and um, connected with them in such a beautiful, they're, they're my gifts, they're my lessons, they're my reasons so many days. I wouldn't change any of it. My children are, are beautiful spirits themselves who are taking into this world their own gifts of love in their own way, which is extraordinary to witness as well, bear witness to their journey. But in the relationship with their father, realized that I was dying. And that dying experience paralleled the dying experience I had growing up in an experience of incest. There was nothing inappropriate or abusive between me and their father ever. As a matter of fact, he was just loving and giving and providing, but not connected in any real way. So it was empty. There was a lot, everything was taken care of in a beautiful way, but I was not taken care of and I wasn't taking care of myself. And in comes the most amazing storm of, of, and it wasn't a gentle stepping in. I met of of all people, I met a woman who fell so, it, meeting a woman and feeling about a woman the way that I do was this, no, this is not right. It's not okay. It will never be okay. It can never be okay. It's wrong in every way. 
So it can't happen, but it was happening. And as it was happening, there was this unfolding in me, this realization that, wow, I can feel things. I'm I can fe- I'm feeling things. It woke you up. I was awakened to this energy in me that was wow, it was just this story of 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 love the way you have a dream about but you don't uh, really know about and then you feel it and then you you can't put words t- there's no word you can't put words to it like you can't it takes everything in you it takes everything in you to to breathe through it because you 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 uh, because you think what is this and what am I going to do with this? And so I stepped fully into this third event or experience of love, knowing that I was about to shatter everything that had been expected of me in my professional world, with my children more importantly than anything else, with my husband at the time who loved me in the best way he could. He's a good man. I was about to shatter in my family system, who, by the way, I knew the words would be women who come from backgrounds of trauma or woundedness end up loving other women because that's safer. And that's not my truth of my story at all, but I feared that those would be connected, Mm -hmm. that those who knew about my history would say, oh, of course she had to choose a woman and that that's what it was about. So there was fear about that too. But the biggest fear was letting someone in. And this woman, her love was so big, there was no keeping it out. It, there was no, it was penetrating in every way. There was no keeping it out. It was undeniable. And what happened was I got kicked back into that place of not being in control, which is what I grew up with. And I got very confused about not being in control versus this is what a real love feels like well in the contrast you know not not being in control with what you grew up with was terror Mm -hmm. the last time you weren't in control that way you were being terrorized Mm -hmm. and now you're not in control and maybe it's okay you know that's a very dissonant how do you make sense of that there what it what everything in me was incongruent Everything in me fell out of sync and incongruent except in her presence. And and I will say to you that, and I often say to those that I work with now, safety and acceptance. You cannot have restorative relationship without a sense of safety and acceptance. But for the first time in my life, I had it. For the very first time in my life, I had it. And she knew all the crevices. She knew all the dark places. She was the first person I told my story to. 
She was the first person to receive it and hold it and honor it and celebrate it as everything necessary to bring me to where I was. She helped me turn around the belief that I was bad and damaged. And somehow she took everything in me that felt bad and she made it beautiful. Like, that's what love is. You step into this sacred space feeling unworthy or ashamed or still carrying that stuff. And somehow it's bright and it's light and it's, come here, baby. Okay. It's okay. And that event of, wow, just feeling like you're so okay, just how you are, totally unzipped. Has been the most powerful experience of my lifetime. That it's possible. And then it doesn't matter. You love who you love. That was a hard lesson for me to accept who I love and step out of the shame. Um, How sad. But there was shame for me around that. Didn't follow the script. Just didn't follow any script that I was told to follow. And... And yet somehow she had the capacity to understand that and to see in me that struggle of where I was coming from and who I had believed, who I had carved myself out to be following the script and the expectations and her patience and her grace and her capacity just, you know, to love beyond... She was the first experience of love that did not feel of this world to me. She was God. She was that divine um, step out of the human need, even her own needs. Like that's the way I, I envision this creator as this just divine, loving, safe, big, comfortable place where you don't want anyone else to see what you're feeling or what you've done but you can take it to God that's how she was it didn't matter what it was it didn't matter there was nothing that mattered to her other than love love was all that mattered to her she was that lesson for me that love really is all that matters and love always wins when you when you stay in that place love wins and You know, unfortunately, a few years into our relationship, she was diagnosed with leukemia and died very quickly five months later. And this has just been a couple of years for me. And maybe that's part of the third event. I don't think it's a fourth event. I think it's um, losing her folds into that experience of her. Yeah. And how easy it would be just to go with her. And, 
you know, I've, I've had it and it is possible and people don't get what I got. I work with so many couples and I, I see it every day. A lot of people don't get, a lot of people don't get what I got. And I got to give it, right? She was also able to receive in such a big way. Losing that has been, um, the experience for me again of the loss of control. Gosh, yeah. And terror. And the world not being safe anymore. It had finally become safe and it wasn't safe anymore when she left. And coming out of that, Coming out of that, learning that I was going to have to learn how to create that safety. And she taught me that I could. Our love taught me that I could. But now I had to make the choice. Making the choice to come into that, shattering my world when I met her, I had her to go to. Mm-hmm. So making that choice, I got to make it in the arms of somebody, in the presence of somebody who I knew could could hold up with me as I was making those really painful choices. Leaving a marriage, moving out, telling my children that I loved a woman who, by the way, ended up falling madly in love with her which was an amazing experience in and of itself, the family we've created, all of us together. But now I didn't have anyone to do it with. So this is my lesson. And recreating that sense of empowerment in myself, this time with no one, having to do this on my own, completely on my own, completely on my own. And I am. And it's hard, and there are days I don't want to be here at all. There are days I know how easy it would be to fly away with her. But I have four beautiful children who remind me every day, every day, of really why I'm why I'm here and that I still have work to do. She reminds me in her ways too that I still have work to do. For me, on me, in me, I'm not done. Something in her was complete. And I believe that something in her was complete and so she transitioned. Sometimes it makes me mad she got to go to the perfect place. She's not dealing with all this crap down here, um, out here, around here. She's not dealing with this anymore. But I'm so grateful that she's not. And I'm so grateful that she is where she is doing her work from afar. And so my story continues. So I'm assuming, maybe incorrectly so, so so please correct me, 
I'm assuming that the relationship and the experience of love in all the corners that you have that are dark and guarded and the loss of that relationship, I'm assuming that's what you are going to teach from, that that's what you want to talk more about. Am I getting that right? You are getting that right, and you framed it beautifully, Jen. There's a sense of empowerment. And that just reminded me, there was one of the times um, she was very sick and in the hospital for her last five months of life, and she was on life support for the first 33 days that we were in the hospital. We were in intensive care, of course, in an oncology unit, and you watch her, you, 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 you watch the machines breathing for her. And every day the team would come in and say, you know, Jules, we can turn it off anytime. And every day I'd say, oh no, we're not making that decision. And every day I would live in my, she's coming back, she's coming back, she's coming back, she's coming back. And I would hear her tummy growl. And I would say to the doctors, like, of course they were feeding her through tubes and stuff, but she's a big girl. How do you know she's not hungry? Like, I was worried about my girl being, feed her more. Do, how do you know she's not hungry under all of this? And at one point, one of her doctors said to me, what you just did, they said, honey, she's working really hard to stay alive. Takes everything in the human body. She is working She's not ready. And I will never forget that. And I would listen to her tummy growl and I would think, you feed her. But then I would think, she's she's not done. She's working really hard to stay alive. And she was. And she did come out of that, by the way. She lived four months past that episode. But it reminded me of that when you heard my tummy growl. Well, so maybe that's her. <laughs> Hey, baby. <laughs> maybe she's just saying hi. Hey, baby. <laughs> right? Yeah. She says hi in the most beautiful ways, which I never would have believed either. Yes. Would have never. That will be part of my story, certainly, Jen. That, And I'm creating that already. The capacity to support others who have lost love, either through transition or their love has left them. And this place that we go to, believing that 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 we can't stay alive, um, that there's no way to stay alive in the world when the love that you feel has sustained you is no longer with you, and learning that you really, I, was always sustaining myself. I have always been sustaining myself, but believing that it was a power outside of me in human form, whether it was what was happening as I grew up or the incredibly close loving relationship with my mom or my friends or my partners and then her. But the greatest lesson in that has been that I was sustaining myself and I still am. And as hard as it is and as dark as it is and oh my gosh, you cannot understand that grief until you're and you cannot understand what happens to your body and your mind 
uh, when you're in that grief and that nothing is okay, nothing is safe, nothing is okay. But you walk out of that and at one something happens and you see the sun again. You notice the sun again and then you say to yourself, Jules, the sun has always been there. You just couldn't see it. And then asking myself, well, if the sun has always been there and I couldn't see it, was the moon always there? Were the stars always there? Because I haven't seen anything for the last year. But they were always there. And somehow walking back into life as changed as it is without her was the reminder that I can I can do this. Even on the days I don't want to do this, I can do this. And that is going to be, that's the story, Jen, helping others come from such darkness, knowing that the light has been out here the whole time we've been in the dark. And when we're ready, we will step into it. When we're ready, we will step into it. And it's right here waiting. It's right here waiting. We're not a prisoner. We feel like a prisoner. We all feel imprisoned mm-hmm. by our current circumstances sometimes, but none of us are prisoners. None of us. And coming out of losing the greatest experience of my life and learning to laugh again, didn't think I'd ever laugh again. I'll never forget the first time I smiled and then said to myself, don't, you can't, you can't. Don't smile. Don't smile. Don't be happy. You can't be happy. You lost her. And thinking, I can smile. And then that's progressed, you know, into three years after losing her, that I can be alive and that it's okay to hurt the way I hurt. That doesn't mean the end. And wanting to help other, especially women, I'm very drawn to supporting women in finding what I what I am learning is such a strength in our very divine feminine power, which for me, Jen, is not about emasculating the male. It's not for me in any way about putting the male masculine energy down. I honor that. I adore it. I love it. I need it. But there is something about the feminine divine that I had not felt in me before her. And it is a power. It is a love power. It is a healing power. It is a don't mess with me power. It is a there is nothing I can't do power that has begun to really shift the way I work. And and she's here. The, the other, the, uh, another fascinating part of that for me is feeling her energy in a way different than I felt it when she was physically here mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a growing surge in my story that is beyond surviving. You know, people talk about surviving is that first phase we work to get to but can we thrive can we actually thrive not just survive and i and that is the place that's where i'm settling i'm settling in this place of 
gratitude and thriving and oh gosh (laughs) the freedom in not having to meet anybody's expectations and in saying to my children who are the most important people alive to me today here's they call me mama j and i'm known as mama j to them and their tribes and their circles and so now they all call me mama j and that's different for me too That's a different kind of, I I will be the Mama J and I can be Mama J to each and every one of you because I'm, I'm doing that for myself. And it's from a place of strength that is so free. I, I never, I didn't expect to feel what I felt with her or be able to give what I gave her. I never expected to be in this place of freedom in my lifetime either. This is a new thriving place gratitude is the word that comes up very frequently for me um just gratitude and power but it's a feminine it's a gentle power it's a it's a divine sacred it is a and this is part of why i really honor what you're doing in honoring storytelling My work has shifted with my own clients, of course, because it's shifted with me. Mm. But my relationships have shifted with my children, uh, with everyone in my life. There's no, I don't need to fix anything going on with you anymore. You can tell me over and over and over about how bad it is, and I don't need to pull you out of it anymore. I don't carry that anymore. I can hold space. I I can create some sacred holding space. And I can continue to ask, what do you want to do about that? Do you want to stay there? It sounds like you need to stay there a little bit longer. You're not ready to step out of it. Let's talk about that. Okay. I don't need to pull you out of it. I can sit with you in it. And that is a very, very free place for me. There's a there's been a line, and I can't I don't. You're so articulate. You might you might be able to frame this with words. You do that really well, even for me. There's a line, Jen, of surrender. It's not it's not a disempowered. I surrendered at times in my life in a way that disempowered me. Mm-hmm. But this surrender, oh my gosh, this surrender is so empowering and powerful. I acquiesce to life. I surrender to life. And I surrender to, to energy and power that's much greater than me, outside of me, because I trust it now. Even all the darkness that it has led me through, I've needed to come through to be where I am today. There's something in this surrendering that allows me to bear witness to your journey. And like she used to do for me, somehow she took the ugly and the dirty and I felt clean and beautiful. Like I'd be with her and I'd come out of it feeling clean and beautiful. And I would think, how did, how did she do that? <sighs> but something in me had to do that, right? Something in me had to acquiesce to that. Something in me had to surrender to that to allow her to love me that way. So it wasn't just what she did. This has been a a hard lesson. Oh my gosh, I'm powerful enough to do that. 
And if I surrender to that, and my children are suffering and making choices that I might not make, uh, which thankfully they're not right now, but if they were, or other people in my life, clients I work with, okay, let's understand what part of you needs to stay there. And I don't need to pull them out of it. It's a very free, it's a very free healing place to surrender to what life brings in this moment and flow with it. And then help others learn to be okay flowing with it as well. Not fighting it, but flowing with it. What was coming up for me while you were talking is that there's a very big difference between surrendering with despair Mm. and surrendering with peace. And it sounds like as painful and confusing and we could probably pick a million other words to describe this season of time that you have really settled into surrendering with peace and that surrendering with despair is and maybe that's how you got your new name mama j (laughs) i knew you would put the perfect words around that because you do do that really really well you do that really well it is surrendering it was surrendering with despair and it was There's a difference between I can't and so I give up and I hate it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, I hate that she's gone. Yes. But. But okay. Okay. What now? What next big thing? And. Take her with me. I'm not without her, but it's in a different... That's been a big lesson for me, too, believing that my father died the year after she did, and he was such a rock for me. And, you know, not even touching the grief of losing her, and then laying with him as he transitioned, exactly, by the way, a year later. Um, and, And even in that moment, not going back to that despair. Okay, I can get through this. And and I don't have to get through this fighting, right? Because Jules was a fighter. I had to get through it fighting. Like, you'll never hurt me again. Right. I will never let myself be hurt again. Fighting. I don't get through it with fighting. I get through it by surrendering with peace. Your fight is not my fight. Your fight is not my, I'm done fighting. I'm tired of fighting. And that fight really was, wow, this just hit me, Jen. So all these events that you've helped me articulate in this way and experiences, fighting through these Mm. to get through to this place. I'm 55. I just turned 55. I love being 55. Some of my joints hurt. Okay, let's go for a walk. Sometimes I don't have the strength to do what I did at 45. Okay, sit down for a minute, Jules. It's okay. Like, it's not a fight. 
anymore. And and that that has been a huge that's part of the story that I will work from as well. M- surrendering from a place of despair leads you to the fight. Surrendering really surrendering from a place of peace feels so good and it is it has not been easy no it has not been i love that you said that because that was that was exactly what was welling up in me it is not easy not easy it's not easy but man it feels so much better to be at this place in my story knowing that i have no idea where my story is going and and okay bring it okay that's okay I know who I am coming into it. So bring it. Whatever's next. So if you were going to boil this whole conversation down for the people that are listening and come to them and say, okay, guys, based on this, all I know is... All, all I know is in the end, love is the only thing that matters. But you have to find a way to love yourself first. You have to find the place, the space, the people, the experiences that help you crack open, split it open, unzip it, dig it out, crawl through it, scream through it, cry through it. It won't kill you. It won't. It actually will give you life. You'll think you you're going to die. You'll think you're going to die. You will be so sure. You'll believe you're going to die. You will be so sure you're going to die. So sure that you'll quit crawling through it and you'll zip it back up and zip it back up and zip it back up. And I wished I hadn't waited this many years to unzip. I wished I had known, but I didn't. So here I am. And in the end, in the, in the end, I've laid with many people taking their last breath. In the end, love is all that matters. In the end, find love. In the end, that's all that matters. Find your love. So my favorite interview show of all time is Inside the Actor's Studio with James Lipton. (laughs) So we close all I know with the same questionnaire that James Lipton used with his guests at the end of Inside the Actor's Studio, which is the questionnaire by Bernard Pivot. So, Jules, what's your favorite word? Love. What's your least favorite word? Hate. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Love. <laughs> there Love. it is again. Love. <laughs> what turns you off? Anger. Hate. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Deep breath. Just the exhale. What sound or noise do you hate? Really probably anything loud or or high-pitched. Anything that's not... Anything that's not of, of peace. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? I would love to be an actress. 
Yes. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Let's run away to LA. Let's do it. Let's get on a stage and just put it all okay. on. Okay. I'm into fun. it. <laughs> what profession would you definitely not like to do? What profession would I not like to do? I would. What's hard for you? What profession would I not? What's hard for me? Maybe we leave it at that. No reason to force it. I think the only professions that even come up for me is professions that don't have to do with the heart and soul of people would be professions I would not want to have. I have to be connected and involved and relating. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say? Oh, heaven does exist. It's right here. It's everywhere. And I hear God's whispers every day, all day. Um, It's okay, Jules. It's all okay. That's what I hear. You're welcome. Thank you. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>